Let's pray together. Lord, we want to magnify you today. And we pray, Jesus, that you will glorify yourself. We simply ask you, Lord, by the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known to us. And that you would take the things of the scripture today and apply them to our lives so that we might know how to live with you. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Those of you who know me know that I love the outdoors. I've had a lot of amazing experiences in nature. It's one of my happy places, if you will. One of the most remarkable of those amazing experiences was climbing a 14er in the Colorado Rockies. A 14er is a 14 over 14,000 foot mountain peak. The day that my friends and I climbed this particular 14er, uh, we set out long before the sun was up. Our goal was to be up on the summit to watch the sunrise. And as we left our camp and began to climb through the Colorado brush, at some point along the way, we spooked a herd of elk, a huge herd of elk. And and we couldn't see them, but we could feel their presence. The ground was shaking as they stampeded away. We weren't sure were they coming toward us or away from us. The whole stillness was broken. It was hauntingly, terrifyingly wonderful. <laughs> Anybody who's had that kind of outdoor encounter knows what I'm talking about. Eventually, we got up to the summit. We were sweaty. We were out of breath. Our calves were burning from the steep ascent, and our... our well, our, our breath was short because of the altitude, and we had been along a very dizzying and narrow ridge line as we got to the place that we wanted to be to see the sun erupt as the face of the sun shone off all the mountains around us. Colors I can't even just begin to describe. It caused all of us to simply fall down and worship. We all hit our knees, not worshiping the creation, but worshiping the one who created it all. wonder if you've had a similar kind of experience where you were just captivated by the beauty of nature, spellbound by it all. Maybe watching a thunderstorm roll in off the ocean, the lightning and the sound of the thunder suddenly is so thick you you just you can't even imagine where the beginning of your front yard is maybe you've seen an animal emerge from the underbrush that you didn't expect and and suddenly you, you were just startled into stunned silence as you watched until they uh, meandered away maybe you've seen a sunrise or a sunset that just it just caused your heart to sing Maybe you've been up on the summit of a mountain peak yourself. Well, today we're beginning a short series called Living on the Summit. We're not talking about creation, but we're going to be talking about Romans chapter 8, which is, I think, very much the summit of the scriptures. Romans 8, the great 20th century Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said, is the brightest gem of all the moving chapters in the book of Romans. It describes the reality of, of what we are entitled to when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. It, it shows us the gift that God gives us and just how remarkable what we have been offered is. 
It begins with the words, no condemnation. It ends with the words, no separation. And in the middle, you find out what the overcoming life is in Jesus Christ, what it means to live this life now with the Holy Spirit of God. We need to know, and I've said this a lot, so if you've been around here for a while, the Christian life is not about rules and formulas. Yes, there are principles. Yes, the law of God is involved. But ultimately, the Christian life is about living with the Spirit of God because of what Jesus has done for us and our faith in what he has accomplished through his cross and through his resurrection. And this is incredibly good news. The gift of God is this. God puts his Holy Spirit in you. Everybody say, he's in me. He's in you. He's in you. He's in you. That's the Christian life. Today we're going to set about to accomplish two things, particularly about this gift of God, about this life in the Spirit, about living on the summit. In these first 13 verses of Romans 8, we'll look at the rest over the weeks to come. What we're going to see primarily is two things and a few subpoints within. First, we are saved from sin. By Jesus Christ. Probably that's not totally new to you. I hope it's not, but if it is, I have really good news for you today. We are saved from sin by Jesus Christ. And the second thing that we're going to see is that we can overcome sin by the Holy Spirit. The first four verses have to do with being saved from sin by Jesus Christ. Verses 5 through 13 have to do with overcoming sin by the Holy Spirit. If you want to take out your bulletin insert or if you have a Bible or it's on your phone, please do so. We're going to look at these verses in Romans chapter 8. Verse 1 begins, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Essentially, this is a summation of the first seven chapters of the book of Romans. No condemnation. Do you know what that word no condemnation means? Yes, it actually means there is now no condemnation. Zero, none, nada. It's a legal term. You're free. Case dismissed. No debt. No penalty. You've gotten out of jail free. You get to pass go. You get the $200. (laughs) There are no charges against you. There are no charges against the person who is in Jesus Christ, which means that God is not against you. In fact, it's just the opposite. God is for you. God is for you. God delights in you. God is not angry with you. God is not holding back on you. God is not going to get you at some time down the road. No, there is no condemnation. God is for you. He loves you powerfully in a way that is beyond our comprehension, extraordinary in its fullness. And when you come to him in faith in Jesus, condemnation's gone forever. It's not even a category for you anymore. It might be for somebody else, but not for you who are in Christ Jesus. You're not an object of wrath. Yes, you were, but no, you aren't. You were, you aren't. You were, you aren't. Man, I'm going to make this sink into somebody's head today. 
No condemnation in Christ Jesus. And somebody's going to get it in here, and it's going to make sense, and your face is going to tell me that you got it. Hasn't happened quite yet, but it's getting there. There's nothing to be punished over. You don't have to live under guilt. You don't have to live under shame. You don't have to live filled with worry and anxiety, and you are now free to obey God from a place of love, not out of fear, Because he loves you, you can live in obedience to him, not because you're afraid if you don't, he's going to get you. That's the difference between a a non-Romans 8 verse 1 person and a Romans 8 verse 1 person. They know that there is no condemnation. Verse 2, look at it with me. It says there's no slavery to sin either. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit comes to set our hearts free, to take away our imprisonment, to break the shackles that sin has over our lives. To hear that, to break the shackles, right? To, To give you the power to get free. You don't have to say yes, sir, to sin's demands upon your life anymore. Oh, sin's going to make a demand. And we're going to look at that in a few verses. But you don't have to say yes, sir, to it anymore. Or yes, ma'am, if you'd rather choose that. To be saved from sin by Jesus Christ is no condemnation and no bondage to sin anymore. Now, how did this happen? By grace. Everybody say it's grace. Oh, say it like it matters. By grace. It's by grace. Look at verse 3. For God has done. That's grace. God does it. God moves. God initiates. God enacts. God is empowered. God is the one who accomplishes it. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, what's he talking about? God has achieved our salvation by sending his son, Jesus, to do what the law required and then to take our place and to bear the penalty that we deserve for breaking the law. He fulfills all the requirements of the law. There is not any more that can be added to it. He has done what you can't. The law is good. The Bible tells us it revives the soul. It reflects the Lord. It's good. The problem is sin. Sin makes the law weak. The law cannot make you obey the law. It can only show you what you've done right or wrong. When you've failed, when you've kept it, and the problem is none of us actually keeps us. So we're saved from sin by Jesus Christ. To do what? To go crazy? Hog wild? No, we're saved to live with him, to live in holiness as the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. We can overcome sin by the Holy Spirit. That's what the rest of verses 5 through 13 are about. Overcoming sin by the Holy Spirit. We're saved from sin by Jesus Christ, and now we can overcome sin by the Holy Spirit. So let's look at this. I want to tell you this before we read verse 5. There are two ways to live in the world. Everybody say there's two ways. Two ways. Let's read verse 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, But to set the mind on the spirit is life 
and peace. You either live according to the flesh, which leads to death, or you live according to the spirit, which is life and peace. The flesh equals death. The spirit equals life and peace. Those are the two ways that we can live in this world. Now, we need to understand what is Paul talking about when he's referring to flesh? Give yourself a little pinch. Or pinch your, if your spouse or your, your, your mom or dad's asleep, give them a good hard pinch, right? That's not what he's talking about. This, this, this fleshy stuff is not what he's referring to. This body, this is what uh, Bill Gillum calls your earth suit, right? The thing you wear while you're walking on this planet. This is not the flesh he's talking about, but, but that word is used for body, and so we get a little bit confused. But not here. That's not what he's talking about. Flesh, generally, in the scriptures is referring to the sinful nature. And it's called lots of different things. The old man, the fallen man, the self apart from God, the unregenerate heart, a heart of stone. There's lots of different ways that the scripture is trying to help us to understand what the flesh is. Basically, it is the self-life motivated, generated by self and not by God. So the flesh, the sin nature, it's, it's the natural bentness that we all have. Like there's not a person who has ever lived except one who didn't have flesh. And we all inherited it from Adam and Eve. It comes as a result of the fall. You don't have to do anything to know how to live in the flesh. You are flesh. It is you. That's the way you be. And it's our flesh, that's what causes you to rebel against God. That, that's that thing in you that, that makes you hear things like, man, God is a cosmic party pooper. That, that makes you hear things like, yeah, I can do life okay on my own. I don't really need him for everything. That's the flesh. It's sneaky and noisy and quiet. Does that make sense? It's what causes us to think we can live well without God. And it's what causes us to refuse to submit to the Spirit of God. That's what the flesh is. Verse 7, Paul says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so the flesh and the Spirit, they move at odds with one another. The the flesh we hear is hostile to God. The spirit of God is at peace with God because he is God. The the flesh, it won't submit to God, but the spirit is always yielded to God's ways. The flesh can never please God. The spirit is the absolute delight of Father's heart. If you want to see an in-depth look at the behaviors associated with flesh, Go read Galatians 5. It talks about the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. I hope you know some of those, but please go read it later. The flesh is self-centered. The Spirit is Christ-centered and other-centered. Now, before Christ, all you have is flesh. I said that already. That's all you got. But when you come to Christ, when when you yield to Him, when you surrender in faith, when you turn yourself over... When you're born anew, all these different ways that the scripture uses to talk about this new life we have in the spirit, life on the summit, if you will. 
When that happens, the flesh, while still there, is not your ultimate master. The sin nature is still operating, even though it's dead, but it doesn't have to control you. I'm not convinced yet. The Holy Spirit's job, of course, is to help you to overcome your sin. His job is to change you, to shape you, to be like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to look like Jesus, to sound like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to be like Jesus. In a sense, figuratively, to be a little Jesus in the world who does not know him. So sin is still at work, but it's not your master. Um, Has anybody realized that when you come to Christ, there's a battle that starts in your life? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, there's nine of us. (laughs) The rest of you are completed, I suppose. (laughs) Or you're not there yet. Like, I got a whole new set of problems when I came to Jesus. Because suddenly, these things that just operated in my life as a result of my particular flesh type, yours is probably a little different, it's always unique. These things that were operating in my life, I suddenly would be reading the scripture and going, oh my gosh, God's not for that. But I really like that. But I really like him more. And suddenly the battle begins between the things I don't want to do and the things that I desire to do. The things that God says are not in keeping with who he is and who I am as his child. And and there's a kind of war that goes on. There are many fleshly Christians in the world, not under condemnation, and actually with the capacity not to submit to the flesh, and yet still operating as though the flesh, the sin nature, was the most real thing about them. And that might even be some of us. Certainly on certain days it is. And and I would say this. Any time that the church has gotten a bad rap in history or even in modern times, It's when either the church is being controlled by non-Christians who are religious or by fleshly Christians who are not living according to the true nature. That's when the church gets a bad rap because the flesh is hostile to God. The flesh doesn't submit to God. The flesh wants to war against God. The flesh does things that are not in keeping with the spirit of God. The flesh... And I got to land on this because I think there's a lot of confusion. The flesh is our fifth element. Some of you know that term. Some of you may not. The fifth element is a term you'll see a lot in like spy and military literature. And it it has to do with clandestine operatives. And it, it came about back in the Spanish Civil War, 1930s, I think 1936 or so, maybe a little bit later when General Franco was taking his army up against Madrid. And he was seeking to defeat the army that was there, and they did so. And when asked later, how did you win so decisive a battle against such a fortified city as Madrid? He said, well, the key was the fifth column. The fifth column. What's the fifth column? Well, I had four columns of troops attacking the city from the outside, but I had a fifth column on the inside. And the fifth column 
were dissidents who were causing chaos and disruption and weakening, weakening from within so that we could win from without. That's the flesh, the fifth column. That part of you that's not the real you, but still works to thwart you, to undermine the things of God because it wants to take preeminence over God. It wants to dethrone God. It wants to get you to go back to the way things are. And the world and your enemy, the devil, use temptation uniquely corresponding to your flesh type to try to tempt you to come out from under who you are in your new identity in Jesus Christ. You still with me? I'm I'm giving you meat today. No milk today. There's a little bit mixed in, but we're going to chew. We're going to chew. This is important stuff. Look again at the end of verse 5. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This is more than thinking theologically, but not less than that. So this, this isn't just about having the right answers or the right doctrines, although those are important. It has to do with setting your heart, setting your life, setting your focus, setting your ambition, setting yourself upon the things of God's Spirit. That's what it is, to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You have to have your attention grabbed by Jesus. You have to have your heart enraptured by the Holy Spirit. You have to have the Father's delight over you because of your faith in Jesus, the most real thing in your life. That's how you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. It's, it's kind of like being in love. Like you, you think about them and, and you do nice things for them and your, your time is centered around the one you love. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. It changes everything. When you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, when you set your focus, your heart, your future, your plans, your desires, your affections toward God, toward Jesus, constantly. Um, my brother-in-law's been in town, and uh, he's a salty old guy. I, I love him. He's great. Yeah. Big guy, six, four, five, stout guy. He was telling us, and, and he had boys, but now he's got his first granddaughter and oh my gosh she's one and she's got that six foot four guy completely twisted around her little finger (laughs) he's captivated his mind as he was describing her his heart his mind are set upon her it's love and and that's what paul is saying our lives have to become like if we're going to be free from and overcome sin by the Holy Spirit. We have to set our lives so thoroughly upon God, upon Jesus, upon Holy Spirit. That's how you begin to overcome sin in your life. It starts in the mind. And the rest of Romans 8 is going to spell out other ways that this plays out. But let's, let's look at one more thing. Verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, so we have to become preoccupied with him. And notice the strong language, put to death the misdeeds of the body. That is really strong language. You cannot play around with sin. 
And this is where Christians get in all kinds of trouble because we toy with the things we know we are not supposed to toy with. Um, we, we, we just won't put it to death. Uh, there's a story about a guy who came to faith. He was just this kind of this incredible pickpocket. Like he would pickpocket 20, 30 wallets a week and he made a lot of money off. It was very lucrative for him. And one day he wandered into a church and he heard a message and he got strangely warmed and saved. And he went out of there and he thought, from now on, I'm only going to steal three wallets a week. (laughs) Right? Duh, that's stupid. Right. You have to put to death all the stealing, guy. Yeah, but I went from 20 to three. No. But, but see, that's where putting to death the things of the flesh, the things of sin, it's costly. It has an effect. And the more closely tied the things of your flesh are to the depths of your heart, the harder it is to let go of them. And the greater the battle often will be, which is why you probably need some other people around you to really deal with it. You need the Holy Spirit of God, but to put things to death is not just a matter of, you know, the old saying, just say no. That's going back under the law. The law is good. It just has no power. You you probably need, well, you might need a life group. You might need a good friend. You might need a pastor. You might need a 12-step group. You might need a therapist. Not just to stop the behavior, but to get down to the roots of what's really going on in the depths of your heart that has caused you so deeply to attach to those things that you find yourself doing that you don't want to do. And a lot of that stuff goes way back into our families, way back into the places where we were either rewarded for things that are of the flesh or we had love withheld from us along the way. And so we find things to compensate. That's what flesh is, either being rewarded for things or compensating for things. And then it spins out into all these behaviors that are destructive. They bring death, not life and peace. And so we've got to put it to death. We've got to put that stuff to death. We've got to feed the life of the Spirit within us and not feed the life of the flesh. And there's another story um, of a Coast Guard cutter. And this Coast Guard cutter icebreaker going up into the polar region, the deck is covered with all these, you know, young Coast Guards men and women. And as the ship is kind kind of floating along, just chilling out, they see an ice flow with a polar bear on the ice flow. And apparently what they did was they started throwing candy bars to the polar bear. And the polar bear, it turns out, likes candy bars. And and this is a true story. And the polar bear was not satisfied when they were out of candy bars. So the polar bear climbed up on the ship and got on the deck and scared the wits out of everybody. They had to get him off with like water cannons. What you feed is going to take over your life. And if you feed the polar bear, the polar bear is coming up on the deck and he wants to drive the ship and he wants to eat you on the way. So we, we got to get them off with the water cannons. Don't feed sin. You need help from the Holy Spirit and from your brothers and sisters in order to do that. Now, let me wrap us up. The key, of course, as, as we overcome sin by the Spirit, is to live our life daily with Him. 
right? Our mindset is captivated. We put to death the things of the flesh. And what that looks like is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment, increasing relationship of intimacy and trust, learning to hear the Spirit's voice, letting the Scripture interpret you and not the other way around. This is where the, the modern church is getting into a lot of trouble, where we're letting the morals of our culture and the lifestyles of our culture determine the way we view the scripture rather than the other way around. And, and that's why the church is in so much chaos and doesn't have a moral voice in the world because we've caved in under the pressure of being liked rather than being holy. And I like to be liked, but I, I don't need to be liked if it means my being liked causes somebody else to go to hell. We've got to be willing to live in truth and to love from truth and to speak the truth. And in each of our lives daily, to understand what God's word says, let it interpret us, let it interpret our times, let it show us the way. And and to know how to hear the nuances and the beauties of the love of God for you. Do you bask regularly in God's love for you? That's how you get free from the deep attachments and the addictions of your life. Love Jesus more. How? Well, he first loves you. And that love has been expressed most clearly on the cross. I think sometimes we think that the Christian life, life in the spirit, life on the summit is like a car that we got to fill up the tank so it'll keep us going. And that analogy breaks down because that means that, you know, we're going to get empty and then we're going to, you know, have to walk a few miles to get another tank of gas or something. It, this life in the spirit, this, this life on the summit is more like an elevated train. You know about an elevated train. An elevated train has got two outer rails that the train is connected to, but it's the inner rail, the electrified rail, that so long as the train is connected to the inner electrified rail, it will go forever. It'll never stop. That's life in the Spirit. Daily intimacy with the Spirit of God. Here's the thing. He wants it more than you do which means when you show up, he will too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today. We praise you. We pray, Lord, this is deep stuff, and, and we may need to chew on this a bit. And Lord, we want to just stand and make confession that there are places where we've given in to our flesh. But we also want to make a bold declaration. We can overcome sin by the Holy Spirit. And we can do that because when we trust in Jesus, we are saved completely. So Lord, let no condemnation fill our hearts. Let your power fill our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.